0: People have more choice than ever about where they work and who they work and what they work on. And so you need to Mm -hmm. be so much more candidate focused and focused on making the experience of recruiting good for them.
1: Hi, I'm Jason Evanish, CEO of Lighthouse, and this is the Creating High-Performing Teams podcast. Our goal is to be the most actionable podcast on leadership and management that you'll hear in your ears. Every episode, we try to bring on amazing guests and teach you interesting concepts to make you a better leader. And we try to wrap up every episode by giving you specific actions you can take. So when you take your headphones off or your earbuds out, you know exactly what to do to be a great leader. Today, I'm joined by Rich Perret, who is an awesome expert on hiring and interviewing. And so we want to help you tune up your process. And so Rich is a tech executive who was formerly a VP of engineering at Twitter. He was also a senior director at Google, and he's been an early leader at many startups. He's built and scaled both teams large and small, and most recently started his own company to fix what's broken in the hiring process. And that's today's theme. We're going to be talking about why you're probably terrible at hiring and what to do about it. So Rich, thanks for joining me today.
0: It's great to be here.
1: Uh, cool. So I think kind of backing it up a little bit, can you, can you give our listeners a little bit of an idea of, you know, how did you get so interested in hiring? What got you on this train and this passion for trying to improve these processes?
0: Yeah, I think uh, I got interested in this through painful firsthand experience, right? Like being in the trenches, mm-hmm. trying to build teams specifically at startups, having difficulty making hires, having difficulty figuring out even like what questions to ask, how to assess, how having hires not work out these kind of mm-hmm. things. Yeah.
1: And so, um, how did you kind of cut your teeth on it? Like, how did you, uh, how did you kind of start to stumble onto the right things to do? Yeah. I think
0: that, um, like many people, uh, you don't necessarily go get a formal education in management and leadership. You get, you know, <laughs> yeah. battlefield promotion. You seem confident yes. here's a bunch of people figure it out. And so you do a lot of reading and a lot of listening to podcasts and things like this. Right. And, uh, um, I started doing behavioral interviewing and, Mm -hmm. uh, after having some success in that arena, but then also, um, feeling like, Hey, uh, some things aren't just aren't right. I came across, uh, really my introduction to evidence-based hiring, which is, I think what we're going to be talking about today was a book, uh, called who the a method for hiring. um, Mm-hmm. And that really talks about a formal process that you can use to um, structure your interviews and structure your interview process to get much higher signal and much better confidence in interviewing. that was the start of, the start of my sort of evidence-based hiring journey.
1: Yeah, that's a fantastic book. I highly endorse it. I love that book as well. Uh, we'll make sure to put a link to it in the show notes so you can check that out as well. So, you know, the, the title of the episode and when we start talking about specifically what we wanted to do with you as a guest... You know, you talked about how most people are terrible at hiring and in fact you had a more uh, crude description <laughs> suggestion for our episode title. Absolutely. And so so let, let let's dig into the the meat of this. You know, what are the most broken parts of interviewing in your experience? What do you see time and time again companies are getting wrong with this?
0: Yeah, I think um the big overarching uh concern that I have is that um we treat hiring as this thing that is sort of apart from ourselves and that we have no influence or control over. It's just like, we do things the way that we always have done it. I think um, Mm -hmm. in the uh, Walter Isaacson book, Steve Jobs has like some great story about, I think when they're working at Apple and he's working with the accounting people and he said, Hey, why do we, why do we do the the books this way? And they're like, we don't know. This is just the way we've always done it. And this is so true for hiring. Right. And we don't look at it critically. Mm -hmm. So I think that's Thing number one is like critically examine um, how we're doing this and is it giving us the results that we want, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And, and do you think like – do most people overestimate how good they are at
0: interviewing? I think so. I think so. I think that um, because interviewing is one of those few processes in business that we don't actually – Run and inspect and adapt process on. We just say like, hey, here's you know, here's the interview. We go sit in a box. Maybe back when we were meeting people in person, right? Uh, yeah. For you know, an hour or or whatnot, and then we come out and we say, oh, here's my here's my thought on this. And you know, don't get me wrong, some big companies do invest in doing interview training and things like this. But by and large, mm-hmm. for most folks, they haven't been formally trained as interviewers, they don't get feedback and they don't have good role models on like how to do a good interview. And so interviews, mm-hmm. I think the classic interview that most people are um, participating in is uh, like a vibe check, right? Or I call it like the coffee yeah. shop interview. We're just going to have a chat, but you and I are chatting and coming yeah. out of that, I'm going to have an impression. And based on that impression, we're going to make decisions, but there's, I mean, mm-hmm. Just saying it out loud, you can probably realize, like, oh, there's like a ton of problems with doing it that way. Why do we do it that way, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, I, I've certainly seen a number of startups, in particular, where you know they take the like, would you have a beer with this person thing way too far on the spectrum of that versus like qualifications and abilities, and 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 thinking about your own bias, and also just you know the value of diversity, uh, which can be a lot of things. Uh, especially value of the diversity of thought. Um, And so it sounds like, you know, one of the things that we talked about uh, early on was just the idea of, um, you know, essentially, are some people succeeding in spite of their process or because of it? So maybe you can tell me a little bit more about what that means. Yeah.
0: So I think that um, sometimes when I coach people uh, to become better at hiring, they say, well, I'm already good at hiring because I worked at a big company and mm-hmm. uh, let's, I, I worked at Google, so we could talk about Google. Like I interviewed so many people at Google, like I feel like I'm really good at it, maybe, mm-hmm. but if you are now at a startup and all of a sudden you're not good at hiring, uh, maybe the difference is, is that the people that you're interviewing at Google sort of were pre-selected and pre-qualified. They were like <laughs> motivated, they wanted to work at Google, it was like a destination, right. they, were, they were very much focused and there were there was probably a process upstream of you it did a bunch of winnowing so that the people that you saw were already vetted in, in particular ways. Now, if you're you know, mm-hmm. trying to grow your own startup, for example, and in this particular uh, case, you have to do a lot of that vetting. The people have a variety mm-hmm. of um, skills and abilities that you have to sort of uh, assess for, not just maybe one area and yeah. uh you have to sell them at the same time you have to figure out if they're a good person <laughs> for your team they don't automatically just want to take, take the job right because you have this marquee name and so that's what i yeah. mean when like you don't know if you're good because uh you're actually good at it or you're good because of these externalizable um factors and so i think that that's like an important exercise that you need to you know sort of uh, conduct for yourself as a leader like hey like what like here's my interviewing pra- practice processes or practices why am I doing them and am I doing them because I feel like these are the right things to do or because someone told me that this is how to do it a long time ago. Like doing that kind of internal examination, I think is like a good um, jumping off point to really start to improve your process.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, I think, especially, I was amazed when I started hearing how like Google gets millions of applications, uh, Uh, a year, maybe even a month. It was something crazy like that when I read uh, work rules by Laszlo Bach. And it's just like the systems and processes at the top of their funnel are unlike what the vast, vast majority of companies actually experience. But if you work at one of those companies where it is a well-oiled machine, I think you can mistake uh, your step in the process for being that your entire process must be great, not realizing that when you come out of that environment and now you don't have that support, You know, you may not have that. Like for instance, I've seen a lot of startups make the mistake of like, well, you know, we have a jobs page and you know, we get one or two applicants a month and then like, you know, they only talk to like three candidates and they and like they don't really have a pipeline and now they're trying to figure out like who they should hire from like a very small pool where they haven't really given a lot of thought to even what their filter is at the top of that.
0: That's right. And that's so that's a, a great point. That's like the inverse problem, right? What you know, you're one person is benefiting from a really well thought out optimized pipeline that you know isn't without its problems sure but like that actually can produce like a bunch of results you could be sitting there going like oh well i you know i can't find great candidates it's like okay well what are you doing to find these great candidates (laughs) oh i just only i only interview the people that apply off my job space it's like okay well i have news for you it's a very competitive hiring market particularly for the people i work with which are startups and scale-ups typically hiring like engineers software engineers product managers designers you have to have have uh, direct outreach. And the more direct outreach you can do yourself as a leader and not just say, oh, the recruiter's job is to do direct outreach. Like The more ownership you can take to that, that's going to improve your chances. That's what you're saying is like, hey, you got to look at it from the full funnel perspective, not just like, hey, I'm just only going to focus on the people that sort of come over the transom for me. Right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So why do you think like so many companies are, are, are bad at this and like create bad experiences. Like we've hit on some of it, but I I know you, you had a few thoughts on specific aspects that people get wrong. Yeah.
0: Um, I think first thing is, uh, you just don't know what you don't know, right? You're, um, you're ignorant around like what the best practices are for modern hiring. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and so like, it, is that because it's not standardized or just the fact that people generally aren't taught it at all? Like, like, is it portable? Like the things you learn at Google, even if you could implement it, is it, is it actually good advice or does is there an awful lot where it depends on your situation? Yeah,
0: that's a great question. and I think that I so, you know so being an entrepreneur and a startup person myself, um, when I get rejected by people or people are apprehensive about working with me, they reject me <laughs> for two reasons. They're like, oh, he's built only yeah. uh, a lot of uh, startup engines at, at small companies and so like we're at a, we're mm-hmm. at a scale that's too big for him. And the, the yeah. opposite is, oh, he worked at Google and he worked at Twitter. He's optimizing for large companies. We don't have those concerns, right? And so, like, I, mm-hmm. I get it from both ends. Um, the, mm-hmm. the truth is is um, your hiring engine has to be custom to you and to your company and, and to your needs. But the building blocks for the, that engine are universal, uh, across these different things. You just have to think about how, how to take them and apply them to your situation. And I think that there's lots of reasons that we don't do this, but I think back to that sort of Steve Jobs quote, we just sort of think like, oh, this is sort of the way we've always done it. And this is not an area mm-hmm. that we normally think about, like, oh, that we need to innovate in. Um, uh, I think and that gets into, I think we talked talk about it a little bit, like how organizations are set up, how different roles yep. exist, et cetera. Um, do you want to talk about that?
1: Yeah. So, so I think that is one of the interesting challenges is like, you know, it's not just like, Hey, the process I did at this bigger or smaller company, does it still apply at this other company? That's a little bit different. I think there's also the, like, what of it am I in charge of as the hiring manager and what parts should HR recruiting be helping me with or somebody else in the organization?
0: Yeah, that's right. And I think that, um, you know, my background and training is in, um, software engineering and and building, um, uh, products, uh, that are primarily, um, software. And, uh, over the last 20 years there, we, most of us in in the industry have transitioned from a model called waterfall, where we, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, where we sort yeah. of have very uh, a linear path to to, to product development, um, to a process that's generally called agile, which is we are doing uh, treating product and software development as a as a team sport. Now, uh, take uh, and there's a ton of. Research and there's a ton of uh, different topics here, and that's like a whole that's a whole other podcast, right? But um, yeah. the uh, the if you look at other parts of the business, they're still waterfall, right? And in in particular, like <laughs> recruiters and, and hiring managers are oftentimes uh, at at larger companies, they have this like either actual at, actually adversarial or semi adversarial sort of interaction where it's mm-hmm. like the, you know, the recruiter is like, Hey, this person isn't like really clear on what they need for the position. And they're not giving me the time and energy to conduct the search correctly. And then the hiring manager is saying, well, your job is to give me great candidates and I don't see any great candidates. And that's, that's the end of my investment, right? Like just you get me great candidates <laughs> and I say yes or no. And that we don't collaborate. Right. So my, my big thing is like, Hey, you start hiring managers. Like this is for you. Like start loving your recruiters, start bringing them into your process, yep. start trusting them. Um, and, that's going to improve your odds um and and think about it going you know if you're a software person right like how do you make what is a waterfall process like how do you make it more agile how do you make it more lean how do you make it more of a team sport uh there because i think that that is really um that process friction um is uh, is everywhere every company i talk to that has achieved a certain scale where they have a recruiting team they have this process mm-hmm. they ha- they have this problem so
1: yeah totally totally and then um what about kind of when people say, you know, they talk about hiring bars. Can you talk about kind of a little bit about like hiring bars and how those play a role and whether someone's actually good at hiring or yeah, not? Yeah.
0: And I think that um, a hiring bar, right, is in uh, theory like a good idea, right? Like we say like, hey, we have this idea in mind for the uh, the attributes of the person that we want to hire. And if uh, a particular candidate uh, is at or above the, those attributes, um, we're going to hire them, and if not, we're not going to hire them, right? Um, the problem is mm-hmm. is that uh, we're often very, very squishy about what those attributes <laughs> are, and uh, yep. we, and, and we're squishy in 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 all places, right? We're squishy at the front, we're squishy. Per candidate, right? So you might be in an in, in interviewing uh, uh, scenario where, you know, one candidate you say, Oh, I really like their, you know, teamwork and collaboration skills, and that's really important. So that's like a star for this candidate. And then yep. the other, the next candidate, comes in and think like, oh the, well they have terrible teamwork and collaboration skills but like that doesn't really matter because we really like their <laughs> you know ability to give PowerPoint presentations or something funny like that right and so you're you know your your whole team and your recruiter everybody's head is spinning because it's like you're you're making the rules up as uh, you go along um, but the the way that this really hurts you as a hiring manager um, is you. Uh, <laughs> Have this idea that, hey, candidates should be lucky that they have a, a chance to interview a, at our company, right? They should be lucky, like, <laughs> no matter how bad our process is, like, they should be lucky that yeah. they get a job, they have a job, et cetera. Like, um, I always think about Jack Welch um, giving a talk, who's uh, was a term at GE for a long time. And, you know, some woman was asking about like uh, um, supporting, I think, sort of, uh, workers' rights and, and all these things, and he was like, "Listen, like nobody holds a gun to your head and forces you to come to work every day." And like to me, the, he, he, so he was like deeply not getting this woman's question. And the, to yeah. me, this is like a prime example of how people sort of think about this. It's like, well, no one's forcing you to apply for this job, and so like you're going to basically. Uh, do exactly what we say and, we're, and it's okay for us to like take forever to get back to you. And it's okay for us to yeah. like put you through like nonsensical processes, but the world has changed. Right. Uh, I think, yes. I think for everybody now too, uh, I used to just say for, at least for like these high growth startups, but I think for everybody where, um, uh, you, people have more choice than ever about where they work and who they work and what they work on. And so you need to mm-hmm. be so much more candidate focused, uh and focused on making the experience of recruiting um good for them and uh, about making good matches that are that are that are uh, good for the the candidate and their wants and needs and good for yourself and your team and your company and if you can do that systemically right like not just in one interview but through the whole hiring process you're gonna have an incredible Mm -hmm. advantage um in your hiring because most people are not doing that most people are sort of just sort of bad at recruiting they're lazy they like send when they contact candidates they're they're lazy in their communication they're lazy in their follow-up they subject people to interviews that uh are, are take a lot of time and are meaningless and like they're just bad and so like i i think a key message is like hey you don't have to be the world world class at interviewing you should strive to be i think but even if you are like even a little bit better than what the average is around you you're kind of in a tremendous advantage um in recruiting because the baseline is so bad it's real bad so i think that that's like yeah. the, that's like my sort of um uh, carrot to get people to sort of make these changes Is like you don't have to like you know go crazy <laughs> with it. it's just even a little bit better is going to put you in so much of a better position
1: are you tired of sending your managers to training that they get nothing out of Do you find yourself panic checking email and slack when you're supposed to be listening to that facilitator? We all know we should invest in the growth and development of our leaders, but all day seminars with PowerPoints and stale donuts are not cutting it in 2022. That's why we made Lighthouse Lessons. We've taken training and learning and given it a totally different approach, Instead of spending all day in a seminar, we send your managers actionable bite-sized lessons via email that take 20 minutes to review and give them ways to immediately apply them directly to their teams. We also give you a discussion agenda so you can meet with your managers and replace trust falls and role playing with actually talking with each other to build bonds, support each other, and talk about real leadership situations at your company. All this is available to you at a fraction of the cost of traditional trainers. So find out for yourself and sign up to learn about our programs managers have called more practical than my MBA on topics including for new managers, for rising senior leaders, mastering remote management, and coaching to drive great performance. Find them all at grouplessons.getlighthouse.com now. Oh, yeah. I mean, the base fundamentals just aren't there. Like uh, one of the one of the blog posts that I've gotten the most private feedback on from the Lighthouse blog is one called like 10 Reasons You Lose Good Candidates mm-hmm. When Interviewing. And it's literally just like, what are all the worst things that were done to me or one of my friends in the interview process? And it's like really basic stuff. I mean, it's like, you know, I think there's a contest on like, where are you more, more likely to get ghosted more on a dating app or interviewing for a job? because like the number of companies that just don't follow up is, is, is stunning. Um, I remember once earlier in my career, I was interviewing somewhere where, uh, a VC friend of mine introduced me to the company and, um, I met with them. They had me give a presentation and everything. And then they didn't say anything for two weeks. And my VC friend followed up and said, Hey, how was the interview there? And I'm like, I don't know, man, like got a weird vibe, but then they haven't said anything to me after my final interview for two weeks. And he's like, that's ridiculous. Like, I'm gonna contact them. And wouldn't you know, three hours after that DM conversation with that VC, they then followed up. And but the amazing thing to me is they still didn't acknowledge they ghosted. They just followed up to say like they didn't want to move forward. But like they didn't even apologize for ghosting. And like the thing you don't realize is that like as much as like having a good interview process means you get good candidates, it's also gonna improve your brand. Cause like there are companies I've interviewed at where I didn't get the job or my friends have interviewed and they didn't get the job and they're like, but this seems like a great company and they treated me well. That spreads just as much as like, I discouraged multiple other product managers from interviewing at that company. Cause I told them here's what's gonna happen. And wouldn't you know, occasionally I was at like a drink up with other PMs and that company's name came up and I wasn't the only one treated that way. And so very quickly it was like, oh wow. Like a lot of people have interviewed there and a lot of them had a terrible experience. And so the handful that hadn't in that ecosystem we're gonna be done with them. So you have to think about, there's actually multiple layers of damage you can frankly do uh, if you don't have a good interview process. It's not just that you hire the wrong people and they don't work out, but it's also then damaging the brand and potential future candidates that will never even apply to your company. the sad thing is the feedback loop there is very bad. So you don't even know that you have a bad reputation because chances are, you're never going to hear the fact that, Oh, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of people out there warning people not to go through your interview
0: process. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, your experience it is, uh, sad, but also, t- you know, not atypical, right? I think that, um, this yeah. is like a, uh, uh, sort of the state of the industry. And of course, like, um, you know, Uh, there's simple things that can be done and complex things that can be done. And we'll sort of get into, I think, probably like some of the more like things as a hiring manager, ways you can structure the process, et cetera. But I also just think that like uh, this wouldn't happen if the people involved on the other side uh, treated hiring like the priority that it is, right? And I think that, you know, when I work right. with executives, like people tell me like, you know, one of the hardest challenges is like balancing all the priorities. You have they have too much to do and not enough time in the day. So like what things are going to get mm-hmm. dropped. And so at like hiring yes. for me, listen, if you told me you're an executive, you're a CEO and you you're going to run out of money, you know, next <laughs> month for payroll. Okay, fundraising is a higher priority than hiring. But apart yeah. from that scenario, Hiring it should be the top priority, uh, especially if, if you're growing, because it's the highest leverage mm-hmm. activity you're going to do as a leader. That's how you get more people to do more <laughs> stuff to grow your business, right? Like th- like people Correct. tell me, "Oh, I'm too busy. I'm too busy to hire. I'm too busy to do this." It's like, well, wait a second. This doesn't make any sense. You're never going to be. you never. <laughs> gonna, there's only two two outcomes, right? Like you're either going to hire and you're going to get less busy because you're going to have people to delegate to or you're going to get fired or leveled. And someone else is going to come in who knows how to hire and they're yeah. going to, and, and that's it. You're, this is, this is the bottleneck. So like treat it like with the urgency that it needs. Cause it's not one of the highest leverage, uh, you know, tools in your toolbox.
1: Yeah. So, so what is the answer? As I understand you're a big proponent of something called evidence-based hiring, but I, I mean, it, sa- it sounds like a great phrase, but what does it actually mean? Yeah. Uh, what, 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 do what do listeners need to know about it? That's the better way to do things. Yeah.
0: And so I think, uh, It's simultaneously like, um, duh, right? Like we should probably use, uh, science and data to like improve this, this, this business process, but also it's like seems Mm -hmm. super dry and clinical. Like, I think one of the things about hiring is, um, it's very, uh, personal and emotional, right? Like in very high stakes, right? These are the people that I'm going to try to get onto my team and I need to know if they're going to be, uh, you know, uh, do a good job and like, you know, let's be honest, like make me look good, right? Or don't embarrass me, right? If I'm the, I'm the boss, I'm hiring uh, these folks. Um, and so it's a kind of a fraught uh, um, process. But what I am saying is like, hey, let's take these sort of traditional practices that we do, from, uh, you know, just simple interviewing to more detailed stuff, like if we take programmers or PMs or even designers, there's a bunch of expertise-based assessments, too. Like, hey, do we do a programming exercise? Do we do a case? Do we do a design critique? Let's take all these processes and treat them like real business processes and say, like, okay, like, what are the outcomes that we're aiming for? What are the measures? Like, what are, mm-hmm. you know, what are all of these different um things that we're doing and instrument them and get some data that we can use to evolve and make decisions. And then at the same time, let's look at uh, the research industry or the research, you know, field and see what practices and research are emerging that we can take advantage of, right? There's an entire field in industrial and organizational psychology called personnel selection that just deals with (laughs) like how to give interviews well, how to assess candidates. And you, the amount of literature that gets turned into actionable stuff for people like yourself and myself and other hiring managers up there is near zero, right? Like when was the last time you as a engineering manager sat down and read, you know, the latest research and personnel selections like never, but there's a bunch of gold in there that. So, so, better,
1: yeah. so I guess for, yeah. So for, for those of us who haven't read that, like, it sounds like maybe you have, what are some of the, the main things that they recommend that you do? Yeah.
0: So uh, I think, so there's, somebody who did a fascinating amount of meta-analysis on all this research, so they went and read all the papers and they said, okay, like this is, this is the summary and uh, mm-hmm. we're gonna, uh, I'll, walk, I'll walk through them sort of one at a time, right? But uh, overall, here's what you need to do if you wanna do structured evidence-based process. So uh, first thing is, to th- uh, excuse me, define roles in detail to understand yeah. what you're looking for.
1: So that's basically like, uh, actually know the skills people need before we post a job opening, yeah.
0: but also like, yeah, <laughs> like oh, magical. Right. Um, but I think that yeah. the, um, detail there as well is like, Hey, um, not just like, Hey, write the job description, but really understand yeah. like, Hey, what person is going to be the right fit for this? And this comes from a, uh, Organizational culture preference. Like, are you a, a like a, an organization that values like a lot of adaptability, or are you mm-hmm. uh, an organization that values a lot of um, rigor? Right, and like you can imagine, like your classic internet startup versus like more <laughs> of like a fi- financial, you know, actuarial, uh, you know, accounting business. These these two things have different yeah. sort of needs. Though being articulate about those things as well as whether this person, you know, has experience with a programming language or uh, a particular type of design framework or something like that. That's just as important. There's a classic problem that recruiters will tell you called spec drift, where basically the person sits down and says, here's my spec for this role, recruiter, like go, you know, figure out how to find these people. And then the Mm -hmm. process uh, over time, the person that they end up hiring looks nothing like the spec. Like this happens all the time. Why? It's because we didn't think too hard about like what we're actually looking for. So actually having a structured way to think about doing that definition that touches both expertise and um, uh, the so-called soft skills and also a mission. Right. Like we we tend to think about like, oh, people are these little we we don't think about them this way normally. But when we do these job descriptions, we think about people as little replaceable cogs like give me any JavaScript programmer. It's like, well, no, like what we actually need is a JavaScript programmer who can help us get our product from, you know, 1.0 to 1.5 in the next six months just articulating that mission is going to give you a leg Mm -hmm. up because it's going to help you when you're interviewing make an assessment like hey sure this person maybe knows javascript but can they actually help us with this mission that we we need to uh do
1: yeah i think one of the things a companion of that that i always found interesting was uh one of the pieces of advice i got from a really great recruiter friend who we're probably gonna have on later in the season uh, to give another perspective on, on hiring, because it is so important, was he always told me that like, you want to watch how old a job wreck is. And so like, if it's brand new, you actually want to slow play getting your resume in and starting to interview, because the vast majority of companies don't know what they want when they start. And so they literally use people as their training wheels to figure it out. And so like, to me, one of the interesting filters I found for friends who are world class at hiring out, you could tell me, Rich could clearly disagree with this—but uh, I find that only companies that really have a fantastic process will ever actually admit that they can hire the if the first person they interview is fantastic, like they would actually just hire them.
0: That's the goal. That's the goal. Absolutely, I agree with that super yeah. strongly. And like, how do you get there? Right? Like, you define yeah. roles in detail, and then that's a great bridge into like the next one, which is standardizing your interview format in questions, right? Like this is, I mean, I'll talk about like what people do typically that I I advise them not to do is they sort of wing the interview panel. So especially if you're scaling (laughs) they just say like, Oh, who's available to meet this person? Like, okay, well, like sort of throw people together like potpourri and we don't give them prep on what questions to ask, or like we use question banks, which are, which are problematic and uh, a whole bunch of host of other issues. And then uh, at the end we go oh we can't make a decision remember the
1: yeah absolutely sorry
0: i just got a phone call and it took over my headset i'm back um, the uh, cool. yeah they standard yeah standardized interview formats and questions they just wing it don't wing it think about what your the goal of each interview is and mm-hmm. what you're assessing and what yes. the what the rubric is like how how are these things are going to be created and give the right. same interview to every candidate don't mix and match this stuff
1: oh yeah absolutely that's a that's a really good really good point i mean some of the horror stories i've remembered even in just my own career where like you go into an interview and the person sits down and they have a printout of your resume and they start looking like and they're like literally you can tell on the spot that they don't even know your name until they looked at the sheet of paper and they have no questions in mind they're just like i'm supposed to fill 30 minutes with you and like those are always the companies that are like you know a mess and it's just like i think what people forget is how much it costs your company to interview candidates like if you interview me and you don't hire me every person i met with lost 30 or 60 minutes of productivity in the interview with me, and then you have to add on the uh the time spent on debriefs and voting and whatever your process is for, you know, you know, discussing next steps and things with people. Like all that adds up. And like, I would imagine, Rich, and you can tell me with some of the turnarounds you do with your clients, like, I would imagine that not only do they get better at finding good candidates but i would imagine they find people faster so that the actual process and how many hours everybody has to spend interviewing per opening goes down is That's that true
0: absolutely true yeah i think that the 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 more precise you can be about this stuff you're going to help uh, if you're a hiring manager you're going to help the upstream recruiters yeah. you're going to help the other technical folks on your team but also let's talk about standardizing interview formats and questions i want you to do that if you're saying you're hiring uh, product managers right mm-hmm. onto your team like i want to you to standardize the behavioral questions you're going to ask to determine if they're a good fit. But I also want you to standardize the um, the expertise related questions. And I think that mm-hmm. there's a benefit for you in this process for your team in that, that you're going to be confronted with like, hey, what are we really looking for? And is this the best way to get it? I think that, again, mm-hmm. sometimes people just like do the interview sort of robotically, not thinking like, oh, <laughs> like what, what am I really looking for? If you engage your team in the process, say, hey, we ha- we're going to have a bunch of PMs come through this pipeline. You're all super busy. How do we make this really important for you? What are the three things we need to know and how are we going to assess them? All of a sudden, your team's going to yeah. wake up and go like, wait a second, Like, h- like this is a great question. How are we going to um, f- figure this out? And there is no silver bullet right answer. There's an answer that's right for you. And that answer can evolve as you go over time and learn from your interviewing experience. So I don't want you to think that you have to be perfect right out the gate. But if you do think about, hey, we have like a framework for thinking about this, Mm -hmm. then you can iterate on it. Whereas if the framework Mm -hmm. is, hey, Google PM interview questions, you know, 10 minutes before (laughs) you you do the interview, you can't really, you can't really iterate on that. You're, you're winging it. So like, that's, you know,
1: yeah. Not to mention the fact that uh, given most people are terrible at interviewing, if you Google the top answers for interview questions, you're going to get just as bad a result as all the other companies that are terrible at interviewing for the most part, unless you get lucky and Google happens to rank it. But I know at least in the PM world, most PM interviews are atrocious. Yeah. Uh, they they are a crime against product humanity, in my opinion, with what they what they do. Uh, but that's, that's – for
0: another day's soapbox. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do a whole but, session on, on, on PM interviewing maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: oh man, it's just, there's so many things they do. And I think actually this bleeds into engineering too, so you can you can, you can can tell me what you think. But like, you know, for every time an engineer gets asked how many ping pong balls fit in a school bus, like there's an equivalent similar question of our product managers where it's like, what does this, like when you talk about standardizing questions, the quality of the question matters too, right? Like Like if you ask everyone the same ridiculous question, like you haven't learned anything, like there's, as far as I understand it, you know, there is no real benefit for most people when you hire them, whether they're an engineer or PM, if they can figure out how many ping pong balls are on a school bus, like, like those sorts of behavioral questions or those sorts of hypothetical questions don't actually tell you where they can do the job versus like, I know when I interview people, we're always asking them, we're talking about our problems. (laughs) It's like, we're, we're getting a little bit of like, at least some, some good ideas from people, even if we don't hire them, we're seeing if they get excited by our real problems. So I'm curious when you talk about like, good behavioral questions and standardizing interview formats. How much do you think it's good to, you know, actually talk about things they literally do in the real job versus trying to come up with like a sterile test like environment where like, no, we're gonna create this like fake company and ask them fake scenario questions or like, you know, see if they can design an algorithm? Like, wh- where are you on the spectrum of like, let's just talk about what the real thing is you're going to get hired to do? And how much of it is maybe like, actually, there's maybe some value in hypotheticals.
0: Sure. Um, so I would say um, to make it super actionable, here's what I think pe- most people should do, right? Um, I think that yeah. when you're assessing, is this person... Um, a good fit for my company and organization, you should use behavioral questions based on past behavior. So you should just ask them Mm -hmm. from previous jobs, like what was the thing that they're most proud of accomplishing and what was the thing that they struggled with the most and really listen Mm -hmm. for, hey, does does this person have the kind of behaviors that we're looking for? And of course, you have to define what those behaviors are in advance and think about like what things matter to you in terms of, um, you know, adaptability, detail orientation, collaboration, these kind of things and understand like, hey, what am I listening for? But that's behavioral interviewing, trying to figure out, is this person going to be a good fit on your team and in your organization? Mm-hmm. Um, and the science there is that, um, past behavior is a better predictor of future the, uh, future behavior than hypotheticals. Um, yes. there, m- the process nerd in me makes me have to say that there is a way to do this with hypotheticals, but it's like I, I just don't recommend it because I think it's a bigger lift for most people to do it well and, and it gets noisy and things like that. What you were talking about in terms of like, hey, how do yeah. I assess if this person is a good software engineer? How do I assess if this person is a good yeah. product manager? Expertise, what you... What you want to do is exactly right. You want to use a work sample test. You don't want to ask them, how mm-hmm. would you move Mount Fuji? Like, these, this is an yeah. example of our industry moving so slowly. Like, Microsoft and Google and people like this were asking those people questions like that a decade ago. And they all stopped because they learned by looking at large number data sets that this isn't, yep. this isn't a good predictor. But there's still people out there that yep. are sort of cargo culting this kind of thing and all the time. So stop. Use yeah. stuff that's relevant to um, the business that you're in one major caveat though do not make people do work for you for free right so don't use don't use your, your interviewing process as a way to like Correct. design your next product or something like that like unpaid labor yeah. is a bad look and it hits it hits women and underrepresented minorities harder than it hits um cis white folks like uh, yourself and myself and so yeah. um it's yeah like don't do it so you do have yeah. to um if you bring people on site to do like a collaborative working session, pay them, if you, you yep. know, this kind of thing. If you do have a sample that's relevant, like um, say for engineering, like people do asynchronous sort of programming tests that take, you know, a couple hours, but are anchored to the actual work that they would do, i.e., not an algorithm mm-hmm. test, but like, hey, here's the type of work that you would be expected to do. Like you just, that's fine. I would say that that's part of the interviewing process, and you don't necessarily have to pay for that because that's not—you're not taking that code and then like shipping it to production and using it to make money. This is sort of a, um, like a like a tryout. That 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 piece is yeah. High.
1: What what I've also always liked, especially if you're talking about hiring someone who's going to be a leader, is literally asking them like what your plan mm-hmm. would be. Um, and what I love is for me, I find that like doing those sorts of plans, like I, I, think it's probably a little harder in software engineering to do this, but you know, product management, marketing, a lot of these other roles, it actually works really well where you're like, Hey, okay, here's where the company's at today. Like, this is part of what your responsibility would be. What would be your plan of execution in your first like 30, 60, 90 days to do that. And then you have them come up with plan and then you go over it in a call with them. And if it sounds good, guess what? <laughs> like, you're like, you're hired. You're going to go do that plan. Now that sounds great. Um, And so uh, at least for me, I've had a lot of success uh, personally with doing that with people where I'm not having them do the do the work. It's like, you know, a marketer may say, hey, we're going to write five blog posts and we're going to do this promotion on these networks. And and, you know, we're going to do research using uh, the following tools to find the right keywords. And then we're going to write the content and it's going to be this size like that's a plan if I actually had them write the post to see if I liked their writing style, then yeah, that's where I would pay them. And so I'm curious how you feel about like asking people for, for plans when it is maybe more of a leadership role where they're like strategizing more than they're doing, um, what, what you think of that or whether maybe I'm breaking some rules,
0: you're not breaking any rules. I think that yeah. <laughs> when, I, when I ask people to do hypotheticals, uh, mm-hmm. I think when it's part of their job to do planning and forecasting, like that makes sense as a work yeah. sample test. But I would back that yeah. up with mm-hmm. a full and rich discussion of their previous plans, what went well, yeah. what didn't go well, what they learned, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Because it's yeah, very easy, you know, you all know people in your professional life. I call them like lean back folks. They love to like lean back yeah. and they say like, oh, you know, oh, yeah, of course here's my vision for how this stuff is done. And they they're not doers, right? And you, right, you just right. need to hire people that are doers. And so you need, you need both the, 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 evidence that they can articulate a plan that makes sense to you. But then you also need the Correct. evidence that they can actually execute a plan because you can't, you need, mm-hmm. you need both. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. So, you know, like we said in the opening, a big part of this is being actionable. So you know, thinking about, you know, the individual manager who's listening to this podcast, you know, they have a limited scope of control. They basically, they're assigned a hiring manager to maybe hiring some people to their team this year. And so, what can they do just within their world? Maybe they're, you know, maybe they're a big cog or a small cog in a big machine, or maybe they're at a startup and they have a lot of control. But what can somebody do that's just within the locus of control of an individual manager to kind of start to improve their interview process? Yeah.
0: Great question. Um, I think that, my number one thing is to begin where you are, right? Like you don't like, you could start with the tools and techniques that you have and the resources that are available to you, but treat it like a iterative process. Right. Um, And I Mm -hmm. think that uh, the biggest shift is a shift in mindset. I think that um, especially if you're uh, someone in a larger organization, it can feel like hiring is just a process that sort of happens around you and you don't have any, agency over it. And the truth is you may only have a little bit of agency, or like you said, you might work a startup and you have, it's chaos, right? You have a lot of agency, right? But, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. you uh, can take affirmative steps to improve uh, the the pieces that you do control. And so I'll just sort of recap like what I think like best practices are. So define roles in detail, yeah. standardized interview formats and questions, um, use mm-hmm. behavioral questions that focus on past behavior, um, what did you do mm-hmm. in the past and, and and why was that important? Yeah. And then determine what a good answer for all that stuff is in advance. And then the last mm-hmm. thing we didn't talk about is is training interviewers. And so if you're a hiring manager, yeah. you like this is a lot of writing, but you have control over almost every aspect of this, right? So like you can sit down and look at your job descriptions that you have right now and go, like, hey, is this actually attracting the right candidates? Are we really talking about uh, are we too focused on skills and expertise and not focused enough on what makes uh, a a great uh, candidate here? Hey, for each interview that we're doing, are we, do we have a rubric? Do we have what mm-hmm. the thing, what the, um, uh, the criteria that we're looking on? Does everybody, is everybody trained? Does everybody know how to give this interview? Does everybody know what? A good answer sounds like, okay, maybe we don't have that written down. Let's write it all down. Let's iterate. Let's involve the entire team in the process, making it more of a team sport. If you have that recruiter that like, you know, a classic problem is that the recruiter says, hey, we're going to do an intake meeting to set up this new role that you're hiring for. The hiring manager goes to them. They don't even go to the intake meeting. Like, start start (laughs) going to the intake meeting, right? Like, help, help your recruiter out. Yeah. Bringing them into that process and meeting with them on a cadence and saying, Hey, what are the metrics? How are we doing? Right. Like I think taking more personal ownership and responsibility over the hiring process is like the first mindset shift because it really is up to you. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that, uh, taking some of those evidence-based steps and like writing things down and then sort of looking at them and going like, okay, like what is working and what isn't working and trying to put that polish in the same way that you would build the product, the same way that you would deliver whatever it is you're responsible for delivering as part of your job. Treat hiring like that product.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it sounds a lot like it makes me think of that, uh, old Ben Franklin quote, uh, uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Or, or also going to more founding father, you know, forefathers of America. Uh, you can go with the old Abe Lincoln quote of, you know, if I was going to cut down a tree, I'd spend five hours sharpening the axe right. and then only one cutting it. It just seems like a lot of this is like, hey, if you sit down and like invest a little bit more time up front, you'll actually save a lot of downstream, unre- maybe unrealized or unmeasurable impacts. Because if you hire the fourth person you interview instead of the 40th, you know, you may not immediately recognize you saved yourself 36 interviews. That's
0: right. And I think the other thing too is like, you can imagine like, oh, if I have to like write all this stuff down and build these things and like right now I'm just doing ad hoc interviewing and now I have to really write down like what a rubric looks like. And I have to really think about like, how am I going to evaluate communication? Like, boy, that's like a ton of work and I'm already, I'm already busy, right? How am I going to do this? I think the, yeah. the the last bit I would say is like, you can save yourself a ton of time by stopping doing things in the recruiting process that, uh don't work right like so if you are right. i love your example of the person you get into that interview and the person's like reading your resume for the first time right and then they're like yeah. looking for or they're maybe they're doing that 5 minutes beforehand if they're really you know on the ball and they're, yeah, they're yeah. hunting for you know different things to ask you about and things like that it's, if you just determine the questions and answers in advance all of that last minute prep and all that uh bad candidate experience goes out the window it's like much more efficient versus like, you're sort of like losing time on every interview, trying to like generate new questions from a whole cloth. And then the, Mm -hmm. the other one is like, uh, thinking more about interviewing as an activity that you do to learn about a person and making Mm -hmm. that decision is a thing that happens outside of the interview process. So much time gets wasted because we are interviewing people, and at the same time, we're trying we're trying to be, you know, Sherlock Holmes trying to decide if this is, you know, <laughs> this is the uh, this person is the right person or not. Your brain is not very good at doing both of those things simultaneously. So if you write things, right, it, so you're you're wasting time, you're taxing yourself, and you're missing. I think great candidates because you're just latching. You're trying to knock people out as opposed to like screen people in. And so, yeah. if you just take a second and say like, okay, let's get everything prepared for this role as much as we can in advance, then I'm going to have a really good conversation where I'm going to go deep on who this person is and what they're looking for. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to open up that rubric. And I'm going to think about what I heard. And is this a match for um, what I'm looking for? Give your brain a break, allow them, allow yourself to really focus on the candidate's story and then Mm -hmm. make the decision later. You're going to save yourself. Uh, a ton of time and you're going to lower the stress of interviewing down considerably. Mm -hmm. Wow. So this was great,
1: Rich. I I know you got to run here in a minute here. Um, and so I think my main question is, uh, so for listeners, I know we covered a lot today, and I think we're going to want to have Rich back again, uh, maybe in season two here. So please email us your questions specifically about the different parts of the interview process we talked about. And Rich, um, I think there's probably going to be a lot of things people would love to learn more. Um, We'll make sure to link to that book, Who, which I agree is a fantastic hiring book. But where are there more resources where people can learn about evidence-based hiring and how to maybe start to actually chip away at some of these different problems? Because this, this is pretty significant if someone's starting from scratch to actually build a good process, you know, think about questions and start to train their team. There's a lot there. So where can people learn more? Yeah. So
0: I think that there's, uh, there's no canonical resource. I'm, I'm building something to, to be, to be coming in 2022. But I think, uh, until then, I think, you know, search engines are your best friend. Uh, people, Google, Mm -hmm. uh, does a great job of, uh, Uh, under their rework brand of putting out a bunch of material on how to do Mm -hmm. evidence-based structured interviewing. There's an evidence-based interviewing book that you can grab uh, on Amazon. And uh, just uh, looking, of course, my favorite thing for managers, I call it like management by HBR article, Harvard business review puts (laughs) out a lot of content on, on this in general. I think just thinking about structured interviewing evidence-based interviewing and doing some research uh, and obviously reading uh, that book uh, is going to open up a whole bunch of uh, avenues for learning more for the folks listening to this podcast.
1: That's great. So I will follow up with Rich to get a few of these specific links. So we'll put those in the show notes. So be sure to check those out. And uh, thank you again, Rich, for joining us. I want to make sure you know that you can uh, follow Rich's mailing list, the career story interview. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And if you want hands-on help, uh, you can hire him to help you build your team uh, of engineers at 10arch.com. And so, Rich, I want to thank you again for joining us. This was an awesome episode. And uh, we hope everybody takes a few minutes after this episode to really think about what their interview process, what your interview process is like, and how you can invest a little bit more time up front so that you get better candidates and and, uh, save more time and create a better experience for everybody. So thanks again, Rich. Hey, my pleasure.